It's time for our scripture reading. Who's got the reading this morning? Eli's got the reading. As Eli comes up this morning, he's going to lead us in a reading from the lectionary. This is from Exodus chapter 16, and uh, then we'll make some observations on the passage. A reading from Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to be rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you are complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked towards the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Eli. All right, so I wanna walk through that passage and just stop along the way at various places to make some observations. And we'll sit with really three big themes that come up in this passage. The first one, if we look at uh, verses two and four from chapter 16, uh, we see this, this theme that comes up in this story of answered prayer. That this story about quail and manna being provided, it is a classic story of provision. Like God shows up to answer their prayer. They are hungry. They are depleted, they are uh, needing something that satisfies, and they cry out to God, and God responds. He hears them, and he answers their prayer. 
And so God's people who are flat exhausted at this point in their journey, and they're weary, and they're depleted, they're malnourished, they're in need, God gives them a miraculous bounty of meat and bread, and it's enough for the day. It is enough. It is God meeting them in their prayer practice, right? And so as we talk about prayer this month, uh, and we imagine the places in our lives where we are depleted, we are in need, we are feeling like we, we need the provision of God to show up in some meaningful way. This is a story that is intended to be encouragement to us, that in the wilderness places of our lives, God shows up and he does provide enough. He responds to their prayer practice. And yet, it's just barely enough, right? It's just barely enough for that day. And so what we find here is a community that is out on the cliff edge of trust. Like, okay, God provided yesterday with like frost on the ground and birds falling from the sky, but like what about today? Is God going to make bread fall from the heavens again today? Will what we need fall from the sky? Have you ever found yourself in this place? Right? Like, I have what I need, but just barely. And will what I need show up tomorrow? I, I think about seasons when I was self-employed, and it felt like I was just in a constant place that felt like that. And I know some of us with our, with our jobs or with our families are, are sitting in this place of like, God, I have enough, but it's just barely enough. And as a result, it feels like the community here of the, the Israelites is in this place where they are in a loop. This whole season, they're just in this constant loop of like, uh, like, what about tomorrow? Will there be enough? And, and it causes them to stay flat, exhausted, and malnourished, and weary, and depleted. And after a while, being in that loop of day after day, having to live open-handed and with trust, it becomes too much for them. And so they start to complain. And they start to raise their voices uh, and, and say, like, God, enough's enough. And whenever I read this story, it strikes me like God provides this frost on the ground that Moses says is bread. <laughs> like when I think about bread, I'm not looking for something that looks like frost on the ground. Like I want a loaf of sourdough, right, with some soup to dip it in or whatever. Like, and my, my point is like it strikes me every time in this story when I read it, God provides for them, but even the provision is confounding and frustrating, even the provision feels like, really, that's what you're going to do in this moment? It's unsatisfying. They eat the manna and they go, what is it that? What is that? And, and when we're in these seasons of life, it, it feels like even the provision of God leaves us more confused and frustrated than when we started. God is providing, but it's not the way we wanted it. And the wilderness will do that to you. You know, when we walk through wilderness seasons, we end up in these prolonged seasons that feel purposeless. We feel stuck. It feels like we're not getting anywhere, and I would rather not be here. And we begin to see then in those moments, in those seasons, how our practices of prayer actually are like often big laundry lists. Like, God, I want you to do this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and our will is in a prolonged stalemate with God's will, and we see how deep our demanding runs for an easy and pain-free, comfortable life. And in fact, we often feel like that's our birthright. Like, I'm owed that in life. And, and in this long wilderness season, that is being purged out of the people of God. 
and their appetites are being exposed, do they start to realize that, oh, I'm hungry for a whole lot more than every word that comes from the mouth of God. I have other appetites. I have other demands. I have other cravings, other longings. And so what I want to do is just pause for a moment right here. Well, this is part one, so to speak, of three parts of this, this homily, but I want to pause for a moment here and practice actually praying something together around this idea. And, uh, and in fact, I'll just invite you to just look within. You can close your eyes if you want. You can pay attention to your own reality. There is a classic practice of prayer called fasting. And it's the practice, I'm sure you all know, of just going without something that I would otherwise see as an essential provision. Like, I think I need this, but I'm going to forego it for a season in order that I might see how God is at work within my longings and my cravings and my appetites. And there's that kind of fasting that is voluntary, choosing to abstain from food or technology or whatever it may be. But there's another kind of fasting, I think, and it's the kind of fasting we see in this story. It's the kind of fasting where we, what we are given is just barely enough for a long period of time. And day after day after day, what we're learning is to hold fast, which is where that word initially comes from. It is to have an inner firmness and sturdiness and resolve formed within us. That I'm okay apart from that which I thought I must have to be okay. And this is not a fast we choose. It's just a fast that happens when God lets us journey in a long season where there is just barely enough for a long time. And so I want to invite you to just consider now for a moment any place in your life where God has chosen to not do what you would like him to be doing. Any place where you wish he was doing more? Speaking more, leading more, providing more. And begin to ask the question, God, how are you working in me through this fast I did not choose? encourage you to hold that question before you as you go into this week, especially if it feels pertinent to you. God, what are you doing in this? How are you at work in this? You can come back into the room now. I want to move on to our second theme that shows up in this passage, which is the theme of complaint. And my title for today's sermon is On Prayer and Pain. Um, 
you know, this journey through seasons like this is one that the Israelites would prefer to not take. And it's one we would prefer to not take often. And, and when we're in that, we try endless ways of escaping and avoiding and denying and minimizing and spiritualizing and bargaining. We want to run back to Egypt, right? I think this, this response of the Israelites here is so fascinating and instructive. They say, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Which is to say, God, if only you had killed us then so that you wouldn't be killing us now, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. They're like, God, we wish you would have killed us back then because at least we had our needs met. At least our hungers were satisfied. At least there was sufficiency and entertainment and fulfillment and comfort. And I think it's pointing us toward this reality that truth be told, we would often rather die than be changed, right? Because change feels like a death also, but one that we don't know. I'd rather die in my comfort than maybe die being changed. And this is, I think, part of the purpose of the wilderness is to purge that too in us, that we walk through a season where I am forced into a crucible of transformation that I would never choose for myself, and it's really scary. And that that becomes our prayer, right? Because in the pain like that, what we read in this passage seven times is the word complain. Complain, complain. The, the people are just, they complain against God, they complain against God, they complain against God. Seven times in just a few verses that comes up. And as David and I were planning the gathering this week, David, I hope it's okay that I share this, I didn't ask you, but David made this observation that in his family there was this, uh, there was this rule, and maybe spoken, maybe unspoken, but the rule was essentially like, don't complain, right? And I think many of us experience this in our homes, like, don't, don't complain, don't complain. And at Holly's house growing up, there's a big sign as you walk into the kitchen that says, thou shalt not whine. <laughs> and as a parent, I get it because my goodness, right? Like uh, sometimes uh, just please stop with the complaining, with the whining, right? And, and I think many of us have been taught in a passage like this that complaining is always a sign of unfaithfulness. And, and maybe, I think there is such a thing, of course, as an ungrateful grumbling toward God. Uh, a missing of all the ways God is providing because he's not giving me what I want. That is true. That happens. But I also wonder if it is possible that through messages like don't complain and thou shalt not whine, we have picked up a subtle message that we are better off stuffing our pain and our lament and our frustration and our confusion and our despair. Because I can't voice that. I can't voice it to my parents. I can't voice it to God. No one can handle that. So I've got to bury it. And if we speak of prayer practices, we've got to leave room for the prayer practice of lament. The prayer practice of looking at God and saying, God, I have a complaint against you. What are you doing? Where did you go? What is wrong with you, God? And I wonder if we allow ourselves that, 
When we talk to God that way, we're in really good company. Look at Psalm 42 as an example, and there are loads of psalms. This is why praying the psalms is so helpful, because it forces us to use language to God that we've been told is not allowed. But the psalmists do it all the time. Right? My tears have been my food day and night, while people can say to me continually, where is your God? When we're in seasons like this, God feels like he's disappeared, and others add to that disappearance. So I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? That's just one of, like, literally hundreds of examples of this. It's been said that there's only two things strong enough to really change us. There's great love and great suffering. Those are the only two forces in the world that are capable of really transforming us. And, and I don't know if that's completely true, but it feels, it feels pretty right. And if that is true, then prayer is maybe the one thing that touches both those places. Because when I experience great love, I am moved to prayer. Thank you, God. Like wonder, amazement, awe. When I experience great suffering, I am moved to prayer. God, help me. Or God, how could you? Or God, why did you? And so God can be found in the two forces that are changing us, great love and great suffering. So learning what to do with our pain, how to name our grief and our loss is a major part of the Christian life. And that practice of lament, we often reserve it for Lent, but life doesn't always show up in those few months where Lent happens, right? Sometimes life, uh, sometimes Lent comes to us outside the season of Lent, if you know what I mean. And we need the practice of lament in those seasons, the, the practice of voicing complaint to God. And it's easier to stuff and to pretend and to over-spiritualize, but Scripture is full of grief, including God's own grief. We serve a God who grieves. In the first six chapters of the Bible, God is grieving what has happened to humanity and what humanity is doing to one another. And uh, I love how Adele Calhoun puts it. She says, the Trinity seems quite comfortable, quite at home in the waters of tears. God shows up when we cry. And so to lament is to trust that God cares about and is capable of holding all of me, not just my put-together parts. It is to trust that God cares about and is capable of holding all of me, including my pain. And I wonder if we really trust that, or do we clean up our act before God? Do we hide from him our raw feelings and our raw realities? We need to lament. Um, and then finally, I want to name one other thing. It, it hit me this month. If we're going to talk about prayer, we have to leave room to talk about one other thing, which is unanswered prayer. Like, what happens when prayer doesn't work? You know what I mean when I say that? It doesn't seem to work. Um, what happens when the other person in this conversation doesn't pick up the phone? doesn't answer. To pray is to inevitably have unanswered prayers. And this week it has struck me just in conversations and coffees with many of you how many in this community are in the midst of an unresolved prayer story. I've been praying, or I am praying, or I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And, it, and so far, nothing. I've asked for guidance, I've sought clarity, I've prayed for healing, and, and so far nothing. And why aren't our prayers working? 
and I don't know. And I don't have a happy like, answer to stick on that. But I think it is drawing us into the depths of prayer. Actually, the, the lack of prayer working moves us deeper into what prayer actually is because ultimately we are led to a place where prayer is not for the sake of utility but for the sake of union. And so often I think about prayer as like my tools that I can use to fix the situation, to build a situation, to construct a different reality, but I think maybe more deeply prayer is the absence of tools, the abandoning of my tools. It is to show up to God with hands open and nothing in my hands to fix the situation. And so often I think of prayer as seeds that are being sown, like I'm sowing into the heavens these seeds, and there's something true there, right? But I also wonder if prayer is, at a deeper level, just the soil and the seedbed. It is the space in which God sows seeds, not the space in which I sow seeds. It's the spacious, empty ground in which God can choose to plant whatever God chooses. And so in other words, as I land this plane, Yes, I think prayer changes the spaces in our lives and it affects change, but even more than that, doesn't it create the space in us that allows us to change? And yes, prayer fills us up, but also prayer empties us out until God chooses to do something new with the soil that is just empty. And so it's good and right to pray for our circumstances to change. And God's in that. But I think much of the time, what God desires to change through prayer is not our circumstances, but is us, right? Our family's been going through this prolonged season of of challenge, and it has not shifted as quickly as we would have liked it to, and as quickly as we have prayed for it to. But you know what has shifted? Us, right? Like we're becoming a little bit more sturdy and a little bit quicker to trust a little bit more open to God, a little bit more long-suffering. And so what appears unanswered prayer is actually the answer to the prayer that I were ultimately praying, which is to become more Christ-like, to become more like the image of a long-suffering Savior, to become people who are moving into the imitation of Christ. And so there are times and seasons where God is patient with us, but there are times and seasons where we have to be really patient with God. And... I wonder if, like, no one's told us that, right? Like, we have to trust God in seasons where he's not doing what we'd like him to do, and then to not despise those seasons, but to get curious about what God is up to in them, because he has not abandoned us. That's the story. He has not abandoned the Israelites. He's doing something they don't yet understand that is much deeper than their surface-level prayers for a little bit more meat, So David, why don't you come on up here? David's going to close us by singing a song, and it's one of my favorite songs. I listened to it on repeat uh, this week. It's a song that's called Song of Lament. We usually only sing this song in Lent. So those of you who have been around the parish in Lent, you've heard this song before. But the subtitle of the song is called Thank You for Pain. Thank You for Pain. And it has this line that I often come back to that, says this, thank you for all that is possible in the space that pain can create. And so as David sings this song, I'm going to encourage you not to sing along, but instead to allow this to be a soaking prayer practice. Let the words of this wash over you 
and, and maybe just hold out that empty space. Let his singing be a prayer that we struggle to say ourselves. And may we meet the gardener in the pain of our own desert places and ask God what he's up to in them. So let's do our prayer of confession, but we're not going to do the liturgical one we usually do. Instead, what I want to invite us to do is just stay in this space a little bit longer 
and to bring your own confession to God. And of course, if there's some sin or some stubborn opposed to God reality in your heart that you want to confess, of course, please do. But perhaps also broaden this to confess your lament and the cry of your heart. Whatever whatever difficulty needs to be named to God, go ahead and do that now. to that confession one other kind of confession which is what you still believe to be true like where is there a glimmer of stubborn hope or trust or faith that you can confess to go ahead and do that now assurance this morning there's this line out of Exodus 16 that I want to pull out and and pray that we would hear it as the assurance of God's love in these seasons it says this draw near to the Lord for he has heard your complaint and is going to rain bread from heaven for you God, thank you for hearing not only our put-together prayers and our meditative, contemplative spaces, but hearing the prayers that just barely are able to squeak out, like, help, God, or why, God. And thank you that you hear our complaint. May we rest this week in the assurance that we are heard and that we are held. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment and whatever peace you sense, uh, perhaps uh, alongside pain, let's pass that. Let's pass all of that to one another in community. And so I'll invite you to take a moment. You can greet someone near you and just say the peace of Christ be with you. Uh, Perhaps uh, speaking into a difficult situation in their story, uh, the word of peace. So go ahead and let's pass the peace of Christ together this morning. 